All match day one fixtures are now complete as favourites fly, underdogs dive, and holy shit, we may have seen the best goal of the tournament already. I'm James Zabo, he's Nick Gullimino, and we are here for the Continental Breakfast, thanks to TLA and Sportsmate Mobile. And make sure you download that Euro 2020 app on the App Store and Google Play Store. Now, Nico, uh, we're going to bring the most important mental meal of the day to the uh, viewers and listeners. We scramble over some highlights, we toast the lowlights and serve up some leftovers for them to enjoy. Are you as tired as I am, Nico? Mate, sleep deprived, but certainly not football deprived, which is obviously more important when the Euros are on. It is. It's a magic tournament. And over the past seven tournaments, we've seen uh, three winners come from absolutely nowhere. We saw, obviously, Portugal, Greece, Denmark. So anything can happen, which is why we get addicted to these sort of tournaments. Absolutely. Um, I'm a little bit tired because I've slept uh, no nights for six days now. And um, I'm pretty excited <laughs> about talking about it. Nico, can you give me a hero from match day one? Jimmy, my hero came from the England game against Croatia. It was Calvin Phillips in midfield. I, I like the way Gareth Southgate set up his team. Um, he, he had a specific plan in place and Calvin Phillips was at the centre of it with the two defensive midfielders alongside uh, Declan Rice. But Phillips was that box-to-box midfielder, um, he, he he was pulling the strings in midfield and, you know, for his first appearance at a major tournament, 25 years old and just his ninth cap, he was he was man of the match for me. And, you know, without him, I don't think... Uh, and he obviously provided the, the match-winning assist as well. So, obviously, without him, England don't get the results. So, he was my hero for uh, the weekend. Yeah, I think he's a bit of an unsung hero, even leading into the tournament. No one really expected him to play the way he did. And you said, yeah, he's a box-to-box. I think he's more of a holding midfielder, but he does run a lot more than a normal uh, holding midfielder would. And without his pass, they don't score in that game. And Croatia, even though they were very poor, um, they did hold up defensively. And as the game slowed down in the second half, uh, or after that first, you know, 10 minutes and when Foden hit the post, they started to squeeze up and they needed somebody to break open the game. And without Phillips, they don't do that. And he seems to be a player that, that plays better when it is compact, which is weird for a midfielder. Oh, he's a physical beast, he's a, isn't he? Is, he's yeah. big. And yeah. he finds the space that others that others can't. So I think yeah. that's a good one. My hero was Leonardo Spinazzola, who was another unsung hero um, coming into the Italy squad. A lot of people thought Emerson was going to start their left back. But Mancini, to his credit, picked Spinazzola. He combines well with Insigne. He was running down, co- constant attacking threat down that left. And another thing, I mean, Italy, maybe they still win without him, but he definitely contributed. And he, he got that assist as well um, that came off the keeper into the, uh, the lap of uh, Immobile who, who scored the goal. Um, if you watch Roma, though, throughout the season, it's no surprise. Um, he has been a talent. Uh, he was originally at Juventus. So there was in 2010, he got loaned out to a few different clubs. But he's fantastic. And he... he kind of symbolises what Italy are about now. Um, it's a new it's a new Italy. They play a high defence. They play attacking. It's not that, you know, Catanaccio Italian style, let's defend, let's, let's go 1-0 up and then sit back kind of thing. You go there watching Mancini's team and saying, this team wants to score. There's a newfound energy there. And you're watching his interview after the game was, was the best. He's just so humble. He's so open and honest. Um, and it, it, when they said he was man of the match, he said, oh, I don't know about that. You know, everyone contributed. They're the people you love. I love that. Absolutely. And that's um, one, humble that's, hero. That's one uh, thing Italy never have a shortage of is defenders, but to have an, a defender who can attack as well, it's almost like that modern fullback position. 
uh, he played it to perfection. Mm, he did. Nico, quickly, before I ask you uh, about your highlights, I wanted to mention the keepers because they don't really get credited a lot of the time. Uh, Robin Olsen. Now, the man of the match was given to Victor Lindelof, which for me is a joke. That is ridiculous that he gets man of the match. Olsen pulled off some remarkable saves and... Spain really had so many chances to score. How could you give it to a defender when he... I mean, he had a decent game, but they had so many chances, Spain, and you give it to a defender like that. Olsen pulled off remarkable saves. Uh, he's had a tough time as well, Nico. I mean, I don't know if you remember, he was burgled back in April. I do remember that, uh, yeah, because he made the move to Everton. Yeah, and it was in England. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, he moved to Merseyside, got burgled in his first couple of months there, and yeah, it's not Welcome a drink to England. start to a club. Yeah, exactly. And he and he basically got booed out of Roma. He's still there, but he's on loan. Um, and didn't have the best the best start at that club. So for him to come out and have a decent first game and not get man of the match, that's the least you could do. Surely, I was disappointed. But he well, did have a good game. He had a brilliant Sweden. game. Yep. Uh, what was your highlight, Nico? My highlight. It's hard to look past Patrick Schick's wonder goal. It was. Otherworldly, the way he pulled this off. I mean, we, we've seen goals from halfway from, you know, David Beckham, Luis Suarez, uh, Shabby Alonso. But the way Patrick Schick executed this kick, he, he didn't even look at the goals. He was just, All eyes were on the ball. He had it played through and he hit it first time. He just swung his left boot at it and it curled into the net. It almost parallel parked into the net. And uh, poor Scotland goalkeeper David Marshall as well. I mean, you can't really blame him. It yes, was, he was no, off his line, but I don't think it. he was expecting that kick. And um, yeah, he was he was off his line. And keepers keepers like you would know, Jim. You're a keeper yourself, and I'm not outdoor keeper, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was off his line, and they they often do do that when the ball's in the opposition half. Yeah, yeah you have to be. You have to be, and and that's the setup. So. This was not a threat at that point in time. You needed him to clear up because he comes out to clear clear the balls or be that um, that support if the defenders need to go back. This is a shot um, that has been blocked into the path of Schick and who's hit it, you know... First time. First like, time. he didn't have but time thing, to control it. The thing it. was, you, Schick, after the game, said he was watching Marshall all game and noticing that he was out of his line. So he had it already... Great awareness. ...in, in his head that he's going to hit it if it comes to him, so... I think that was fantastic. And Jimmy, what about you? What about me? Um, I was just going to say it was good to see him uh, <laughs> get some get some good form in because when he did go to Roma, he was uh, struggling a little bit for form because of all the pressure uh, that it comes with. My highlight was the game between Netherlands and Ukraine. Um, there were some concerns over Frank de Boer's his, his formation and the um, unpopular way that he's gone about his football. Um, but that was that was quashed pretty quickly because of the fast intensity that they played. It was end-to-end. I mean, Netherlands dominated, especially Ginny Wijnaldum, your mate. Um, yeah. And they got out – they ended up going out to a 2-0 lead before Yarmolenko, who, you know, half of the people think he's overrated. Half of Ukraine loves him. And he kicks that stunning goal, 2-2. Um, Dumfries comes and scores the winner in the 85th minute. This game had everything. Um, and it was exciting football. And when you watch the game, I know you love England, but you watched Croatia and England game, and I know it was hot, but you sat up watching that game, and that was uh, as boring as it comes. You come out and watch this game, exciting football, end-to-end. It does leave the questions. It's a little bit risky playing that 3-5-2 system because it allows teams to counter-attack and find space behind, which they did. But it's good football. You like like it? It's good to watch. So that was my highlight. I thought that was the game of the tournament. Absolutely, no it was. And they and 
the, yeah, obviously the one worry for the Netherlands would be their defence and they're used to having Virgil van Dijk back there yeah, as well. Loss, um, loss. They can attack the way they want to and knowing that they've got coverage at the back from one of, or if not the best defender in the world and mm. obviously his absence is a massive hole to fill for them. Yeah, uh, that was the good stuff. What about the bad stuff? What was your low light, Nico? Um, uh, <laughs> I might get this pronunciation oh, wrong. Been so it all morning. Apologies, so. <laughs> but uh, Gregor's... Kovac, he's double yellow card perfect. against Sol- Slovakia. Um, yeah. He obviously plays for Poland, and this is this was the first and only red card we've seen in the opening days of Euro 2020. And I just don't think it was there. I, I don't want to see players getting sent off for this. Um, the first yellow card, obviously, whenever you're going to foul someone on the fast break, there's always a yellow card in that. First no one, no worries. Yeah. No worries. The second one, I didn't think it have to, had to be shown. Um, I didn't think it was intentional. There wasn't any malice shown at all, I don't think. And the Slovakia play did play on it a bit too. So it was a poor read from the referee. Usually they they give a warning and be like, right, I've already given you a yellow card. Just uh, I'll give you a warning. Don't do it again. And we'll see how we go. Because, you know, you know it's a, it's a knockout tournament. We're in the group stages. There's three games to prove yourself. You don't want to be losing games That's not games a second yellow. It's not a second yellow. It I'm was very you. harsh, I thought. So yeah. that was my low light of... Uh, the tournament so far. Yep. My low light uh, well, was the the obvious one. It was the Ericsson moment. We all know what happened and when he collapsed and went into cardiac arrest. But the low light for me was was that the, the cameras are capturing that moment. They're capturing his wife crying. There was a lack of respect for human dignity and, and the family's privacy. And I think people even skip that, post the cameras as well on social media. I mean, it's, you know, thank God that, you know, nothing – did eventuate, but geez, I mean, in that moment, you really needed to turn the cameras off. It was painful to watch. Um, was, yeah. And everyone's talking about, so I'm not going to go on about it, but all thoughts are with Ericsson and, and uh, it looks like he's in a stable condition. Absolutely. So it is good news. Nico, the Midnight Oil, we need to discuss what uh, is a must-watch game for you. What's going to happen and what are you looking forward to in the next set of matches that starts tonight? Well, the group, group F is the group of death and we, we, we mm. just saw France against uh, Germany, and now next up is Portugal against the Germans. And the yep. Germans have to win. This is the, this is their do-or-die game. Uh, they've already lost one, obviously, to France. And if they lose to Portugal, that's it. That's game over. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the big game. This is uh, probably the biggest in terms of win-loss in the next round of fixtures. So, yeah, that's coming up Sunday morning Australia time, Saturday night, 2 a.m., it yep. is a tough fixture, but you know Saturday night we got no excuse, eh? We have That's to right. we have to stay up for that one. That's right, and you've got to stay up for England and Scotland because this rivalry goes back. Absolutely, oh my God, this is full of spice. This is full of hatred and anger. <laughs> um, it's going to be great. And the thing is, like Scotland didn't play a horrible game. They were unlucky in stages. They had a few chances which you would have liked, especially Lyndon Dykes to finish a couple of those opportunities. The Aussie. But, but the, yeah, the Aussie born Scott. Um, yep. But the the story behind Scotland is massive. They haven't been to you know a tournament in what is it, eighteen years or something. Mm. And and the country just loves football and gets behind them. And when they're coming up against England, who, let's be honest, like they got the result, which was great. But I think that reaction was a little bit. It was a bit of an overreaction for mine. They didn't they didn't play great football. I know it was hot. We mentioned that, but they've still got to show a lot more before you class them and go these are favourites. I think it was relief because they'd never won a first game of the Euros before. They finally did that. But in games like this, an emotional squad, they're both emotional squads. Anything can happen. So make sure you're watching that one. I can't. Who's the tip? It's got to be England. Has to be England. 
But yeah, I hope Scotland favourites. It'll be good. Hey, that's all we've got time for today between me and Nico. But coming up in a special interview is Daniel Garb. We're going to ask him a little bit about his career, but more about this tournament and his thoughts on the game. He is a champion, Daniel Garb. Of that. So stick around for that. And hashtag Continental Breakfast to get involved. We want to hear your thoughts on the tournament. So please do. And we will be back after all the games are played in match day two. Today's guest is the face of football reporting in Australia and one of the most gifted and knowledgeable journalists in our great country. He's covered the EPL, World Cups, international and domestic competitions, and I don't think a single football match has ever been played without Garby being there live or at least watching with a cup of coffee in the middle of the night. I've been lucky enough to have an interview with this man before, and not only did his sporting intelligence impress the audience, his honesty and pure passion for the games he covers shone through to everyone who listened. A lot of great feedback last time, Garby and I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the current tournament that's consuming our lives. Welcome, Daniel Garb. Thank you, James. Mate, as long as you give me intros like that, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll keep on coming on your show, that's for sure. It's, uh, it's hard to say no when, uh, when that's the case. So appreciate it, mate, but uh, I'm not sure it's entirely accurate. Have you uh, enjoyed the coverage so far? I've seen you said you in pubs, social clubs, having a good time. Have you been just constantly tipsy and tired for the last six days? Yeah, not quite. I um, I probably was tipsy by osmosis, just being around the England fans on Sunday night, such <laughs> as the amount of alcohol they were consuming. That was incredible. Uh, but I've done a couple of games at the live events for Optus, which have been good fun. Um, outside of that, I've tried to watch as much as I can. And if I can't stay up through the night, wake up and, uh, and, and watch the mini matches and so on and stay across it all, because it's a fantastic tournament. Uh, that's for sure. And that was expected. The Euros always deliver. Um, but uh, it's been it's been wonderful. So really enjoying it, and uh, and looking forward to how it uh, continues from here on in. Because yeah, certainly living up to expectations with all the the big teams starting really well. Hey, you admitted to being a football nerd when you were younger, uh, getting the love of football from your dad, waking up excited excited to uh, read the match reports. Do you remember the first international tournament you ever watched? Good question. Um, USA 94 is probably the first one that I became immersed in. I do remember Italia 90. I do remember being seven years old and my father watching the World Cup in 1990 and and catching a couple of games and being caught up in it and sitting right next to the TV. But I was only seven years old then. Um, 1994, I was 11 and I think old enough to to understand it a little bit more and, and become more immersed in it. I think, yeah, Italia 90 probably... The, the incredible nature of a big football tournament grabbed me, but I didn't really understand it all in detail. USA 94, I could follow it all closely. So those two tournaments are probably the, the two that stand out for me as, uh, as big tournaments that, that grab you, grab me when I was a kid. And so many people have those stories. And it's usually a big tournament like that that has an enormous influence on your passion for uh, for an overseas sport in particular. So yeah, that was that were the two that stood out, and, and USA '94 was was incredible. But uh, Italia '90s, my first real memories of watching big time football came to the fore. Garby, you've you've covered international tournaments in the past, and brilliantly, I must say. Can you tell me what that was like? I'm very jealous, mate. I would love to know what it's like to cover an international tournament overseas. It's awesome. It really yeah. is. I mean. I've been lucky enough to go to three World Cups, the last three, all covering the Socceroos in detail and being around the team closely. And it's just an amazing experience. I mean, if you're an Australian football fan, I don't think there's a better sporting experience than covering, or sorry, following the Socceroos at a World Cup. So covering it is pretty special as well. 
I mean, it's just a party. And it usually starts the night before a game in a city. Remember, you move to a different city each time. So the night before the game, everyone's gathered, everyone's there. You usually, you, know, you go out to bars and usually link up with the opposition fans and enjoy some banter with them and songs with them and talk about the game. And then you've got the game the next day. And that, that pilgrimage to the grounds is just an awesome one. All the Australian fans together singing songs that nervous energy, but excitement you know, bonds you all. And then after the game, there's a party, win, lose or draw at a pub somewhere. And, you know, you're singing with the opposition fans, regardless of what's happened. And that happens in every single game. And it's absolutely brilliant. It's such a fun experience. So, yeah, it, it is the best. And then going to watch some other big games at, at World Cups outside of Australia are fantastic too. So, yeah, it's the world really does unite. And you think about all the, the nonsense that goes on in the world. Well, that's a time when people come together from different countries and, Sometimes you can't speak the same language as them, but you just unite in the love of football and the love of sport and the love of the experience that you're all going through together. Like you've all paid big money and you've taken leave from work and you've managed to get approval from your wife or your girlfriend or whatever it is. Everyone's gone through the same thing to, to be at this event together. And, yeah. and even if you're from different countries, you, you sort of bond in that way, which is... Um, which is great. And of course, there's many people who go with their wives and girlfriends to these events too, but it's <laughs> it, you're all on the same page. Um, and despite the rivalry, you have a lot of fun as a result. Yeah, I always watch uh, reporters speaking live from different parts of the globe, different people, different environments. You know, live interviews and reporting can be very difficult. Did you ever have a, a forgettable or memorable moment on live TV? Uh, there was one incident in Russia on my first day there, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> ahead of the World Cup there, and um, I was doing a, a live cross in the city streets and I didn't have any protection at all and a bloke came behind me and tried to kiss me on my cheek, which startled me enormously because I didn't know what was going on and you don't know what anyone can do in that situation either. So I was startled, but I managed to keep it together. <clears throat> he was just trying to have some fun. There was nothing... Uh, you know, of a, of a dangerous nature involved in it. But of course, it startles you a bit. And then he walked off and I, I carried on my chat and was lucky enough to keep it all together when on another day, I might have been thrown enormously and, uh, and struggled to, to carry on. So it worked out well on that occasion. Outside of that, there hasn't been anything, you know, of a, of a major nature. Look, there's been, I covered Leicester winning the title and I got mobbed so much by fans there that you know, you had to stop and start numerous times because it was out of control. Um, the other night covering the England game, we had to get two security guards in at the pub because we were just being mobbed, myself and Stephen Taylor, the former Newcastle United yeah, defender. Yeah, yeah. So we had to bring in two security guards. We didn't mind the fans behind us, but they were going to jump all over us. And we had to get our, our chat away. And they were so drunk that who knows what could have happened. So we had two security guards keeping them at bay. But outside of that, no, nah, it's fine. Most of the fans are good. They have fun with you. It's good to have some colour behind you. Sometimes they cross the line and it can be annoying. But when you're on camera and you're live, you've got to keep your cool or else you look like the idiot, basically. So you don't want to get too aggressive with people. But uh, lucky that there hasn't been anything too serious. But that moment in Russia was uh, was an interesting one. And it was quite funny because it pick was picked up on social media and started uh, going a bit viral. And the local newspaper in Kazan were obsessed with the story for some silly reason. Yeah, yeah. And they wanted to interview me and do a big like feature. <laughs> bloke just came up on camera and tried to like big deal. Yeah, I don't know why they were so swept up in it, but um, yeah, that was, that was one funny one that has, uh, that has come through over the years. 
What have you made of the uh, tournament so far, Garby? I mean, France are arguably the favourites. Are they still your favourites after you've seen everybody play? Yeah, they are. I mean, their win wasn't as convincing as some other nations, but they had a tough test in Germany, in Munich as well. So that shows you know, how good they are that they could pass that at the first time of asking when they're a team that would probably like to build their way through a tournament. And they can't afford to do that here because they're in the group of death. So, yeah, still the team to beat for me. I mean, the likes of Mbappe and Pogba and Kante and... Griezmann, yeah, they've just got so much quality and so much depth. Pava, I love it right back. He looks really sharp again. So, yeah, still the tip. I mean, Belgium were fantastic. Uh, Italy, really sharp, really impressed with them. England were excellent early against Croatia and then maybe plateaued a touch. All the big nations are doing well. I think that's the story. Portugal, brilliant, albeit against a weak team in Hungary. So, I think that's exciting. I'm actually looking forward to to the round of 16 in the quarters because it looks like we'll get the matchups that we expected on paper. All the big teams coming up against each other. I mean, England, if they win their group, which you'd expect them to, especially after beating Croatia, are going to face Portugal or France, probably. I mean, how's that for a round of 16 game? Immense. So, yeah, I still have France as the favourites. A lot of good contenders around them and, and the big teams all look up for it early, which is fantastic, apart from Spain, who probably don't have a squad that's ready to contend just yet. Has anyone disappointed you? Were you expecting more from from some nations than you saw? Not really. I don't think there's been anyone that's been disappointing, to be honest, out of the big teams. They've all looked pretty sharp. I was a bit disappointed in England's second half. I thought they, they were really good early against Croatia. And I thought they would win by more than a goal. They'd add another one somewhere. And Croatia grew into the game a little bit. But uh, England didn't quite play at the same level that they were at in the first half an hour where you thought this is going to be an exhilarating 90 minutes of English football, but they got the three points against the second best team in the group. So you take that with glee. A Turkey were disappointing. I know they're not a big hope, but I thought they'd give Italy a bit more of a, of a go than what they did. They were a bit of a smoky for me and, uh, and they were disappointing. So uh, I think that's going to be an easy group win for Italy on paper, the way it's, it's going to go. And, uh, and they were excellent. So they made Turkey look bad, but I thought Turkey would offer a little bit more. So who do you want to win? That's a good question. Who do I want to win? Well, um, I mean, look, I do with England, of course, because I've grown up loving England, English football <laughs> enormously. So many others. Can I stomach, though, the reaction from their <laughs> fans if they do win it? I don't know if I can. Yeah. Like, it's going to be unbearable, isn't it? Like, I'll be really happy as a Liverpool fan for a, a Jordan yeah, Henderson yeah. and... But I mean, it's just going to be over the top. Their fans on Sunday night. I mean, it was one before the before the game had started. They were unbearable. I got mates <laughs> in England. They won't shit up about this for ages. It's coming home. Will be played at nauseum. I don't yeah. know if we're all ready for that. But there are elements of me that would be happy for them. Um, Belgium would be a great story. I must say, yeah, yeah. I would like to see Belgium win it because their their tail to get to where they are right now is quite extraordinary for a small nation who hadn't been anywhere near the top tier of football up until 2010, really, the turn of, the, of that decade. To be at the level they're at right now, to have the talent they've got coming through, to have completely transformed the way in which they operate at grassroots level and then in their professional leagues to bring out players like this that have made them such a strong national team, that's just unfathomable. You know, the Dutch were, were way ahead of them. The Dutch were the big brothers who used to laugh at, at Belgium. And they've turned it on their head, basically. And they're now the, the talent factory. And the Dutch are, are way behind them and have been for a good five years, at least. So I think Belgium would be the, the, the great story out of all the big teams. 
All right, Garby, to end off, I want your golden boot and golden glove predictions. A golden boot, I'm still going to stick with Lukaku. Yeah, I think he's he was my tip before the tournament. He's already got two to his name, so that helps. But uh, I think Belgium, in in their next two group games, I think you'll be able to add a couple more and they might go on a decent run. So I think Lukaku will be able to, to hold out um, any of the challenges, although there'll be a few and Ronaldo's already got two. So good luck. But he's got France and Germany to come in his next two group games. Golden Gloves. I'll go with Donnarumma from Italy. Uh, he looked solid early on. Uh, kept the clean so. sheet. So I'll, uh, I'll go with the Italian keeper. All right, Gabby, as you know, I like to end off with 10 quick questions. Uh, these are a bit different to the ones I asked you last time on the gym session. Here we go. You're good at these. I enjoy it. Favourite breakfast? Honestly, Vegemite on toast. Warm toast, a bit of butter and a bit of Vegemite. Yeah, I might not have been born in this country, but I've certainly, uh, <laughs> certainly dinky die when you consider that. Favourite Italian player of all time? Fabio Cannavaro. Loved watching him at the 06 World Cup. I know it's not the fashionable option of the strikers, but Fabio Cannavaro, I haven't watched, enjoyed watching a player defend as much as I enjoyed watching him go about it. If you could have any player from the Euros shooting a penalty to save your life, who is it? Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, that's true. Stupid question. How many coffees are you having per day? Uh... Depends on how hard I'm working and how little sleep I've had. The last couple of days around the Euros, I probably chalked out around six or seven. And a normal day, I would say always one in the morning, first thing I do when I wake up. And then I'll, on average, I'll probably slot another one in there somewhere. As memorabilia, would you rather have Robert Lewandowski's boots or Man- Manuel Neuer's glove? Ooh, Manuel Neuer's glove, because boots are a bit more common. I think if you get a goalkeeper's glove, it's a little bit more unique, so I'd probably go with Neuer's glove. If you could be in any European country right now, where would it be? Probably Greece, because this time, how many years ago? I think it was eight years ago. I was at a mate's Bucks party in Mykonos, and that was epic. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> good memories of that. So this time, eight years ago, we were having the time of our lives. If I could go back there in a click, I would. So I'd say, uh, yeah, I'd say Greece. What is your favourite beer? Actually, Pure Blonde. I'm a big Pure Blonde yeah, fan. I really like it. Chris. Actually, oh, Pure Blondes, but when I'm really parched, a Corona with a lime cannot be beaten. So that'd be the two. Your favourite coach of all time? Favourite manager? I'll, I'll go with Rafael Benitez. Um, I'll go with two. Rafael Benitez. Three, actually. Sorry. <laughs> Rafael Benitez, good. from a Liverpool point of view, who's hitting for what he did for the Socceroos. And I've been lucky enough to meet both of them intimately. Rafa in, in Liverpool to interview him. Hus in his house in Holland, in Amsterdam, which was a pretty special day yeah, yeah. Uh, to interview him. And then Ange Postacoglu as well. Yep. So they'd be my three best managers of all time. Jurgen Klopp, very unlucky. Did you ever have a one-on-one chat with Jurgen Klopp? Uh, never a deep chat. In fact, he came in in my last season, I think, in the UK. So I interviewed him a fair time, 50 times at press conferences, but never a sit-down, in-depth yeah. chat with, uh, with the great man. Yeah, maybe that was a difference. Uh, if you had to roll with either Paul Pogba's or Calvin Phillips's haircut for a month, which one would it be? Uh, my my face shape, I'd struggle with Calvin Phillips, I think. <laughs> I'd look I'd look ridiculous. So I'll go with Pogba for the extra height. I think it would work a bit better for me. So, yeah, I'll go with Pogba's. All right, other than football, what's one thing you miss about England? Oh, the pubs, which kind of rolls into football a little bit. But, yeah. you know... The weather sucks in England, but even in the worst time in winter, 
when you walk into that warm pub, and we used to, we had a favourite sports bar when I was there, me and my mates. Um, and when you when you rocked up there and the sport was on, you'd ordered your food, you had your your beers being brought to your table. There was no better feeling. So, yeah, the pub vibe in uh, in England was was number one. Perfect, Garby. You're a champion, mate. Had a lot of fun. Uh, as always, I, I appreciate you coming on to, to do this, mate. Uh, when can we see you uh, on TV next? Oh, I'm not sure, mate. I'll do a bit of stuff on the ABC. Um, we'll see if I'm on with Optus again when the uh, throughout the duration of the Euros. We'll see what decisions they make with their live events because I'm doing a bit of stuff with them in Sydney for that. So if they roll out a couple more, probably depends on how well Italy and England go. Yeah. As to whether they uh, they do a few more of those, but um, but hopefully, mate, it'd be good to uh, it'd be good to do that again. Awesome, mate. Look forward to it. Hope we see you soon. Um, thank you so much, Garby. We'll uh, we'll chat again in the near future, mate. Enjoy the tournament. No worries, yeah, mate. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you.